Hello and welcome to this episode of WikiWalks. WikiWalks is a short podcast devoted to some of the more intriguing and, huh, who knew, articles that you can run across in the weird world of Wikipedia. I'm your host, Chris Grismer. The date of this recording is from May 2020, and I saw in the news this past week that early viral sensation Paul Vasquez passed away. Who is Paul Vasquez, you ask? Well, do you remember this little ditty? Double rainbow all the way across the sky. It's a double rainbow all the way. Yes, that's right. The double rainbow guy finally found his pot of gold at the end of his multicolored bow. And his vim and vigor for all things double reminded me of a great story from the pages of Wikipedia. The double sunrise flights. Now, there's no doubt at some point in your life, you've humble-bragged to someone about how long your flight was. I mean, what better way to secretly shroud your braggadocio about far-flung travel than to ensconce it in a nice, thinly-veiled, velvety cloak of faux criticism? Currently, the longest commercial flight being offered is the Singapore to Newark, New Jersey route via Singapore Airlines, a paltry 18 hours and 30 minutes. But listen here, Jack. You don't know the real meaning of a long flight until you've taken the double sunrise flight. Back in the Second Great War, the British Empire covered a substantial portion of the globe. It was said that the sun never sets on the British Empire, as their ownership indeed crossed the international date line from sea to shining sea, and never were their territories all shaded at once. Australia was, of course, part of the empire, and so was India, and Pakistan, and Sri Lanka which was known as Ceylon at the time. And let's add Singapore to that list, too. But you might remember, in this neck of the woods, a little upstart known as Japan started hopping from place to place and determined that many of these countries should, in fact, belong to them. So, there goes Singapore. Sayonara. It was now part of the land of the rising sun. You know, there seems to be a theme between empires and relating their powers to the omnipresence of the sun, But I digress. As you can imagine, Australia, the neighbors to the south, let out a collective crocky, thinking that perhaps Japan would decide to hop on over, flash their bayonets, and declare, That's not a knife. That's a knife. After all, Australia is enormous, and defending its borders would be darn near impossible. Having to canvas the coastlines via kangaroo back with a trained militia of ill-tempered koalas was no defense strategy. Adorable though highly ineffective. Japan, however, also agreed that Australia was huge and invading it was unfeasible. But cutting off the Texans of the British Empire, that's what I call Australians, from their friendly, barbecue-loving cousins, the United States, was a much more plausible and effective battle plan. However, the fall of Singapore meant that Australia was now cut off from their real baby daddy, the UK and their ability to fly and refuel aircraft was reduced to basically, well, zero. It was far too dangerous to try and fly from Australia with so many Japanese airstrips and naval battalions just waiting in the wings. They were the proverbial dingo ready to eat all the babies. This meant that if you wanted to send mail, it had to be sent from Perth on the far west coast via boat across the Indian Ocean and up through the Suez Canal in Egypt. Australia to Egypt via boat. If you thought your Amazon Prime packages being delayed due to the coronavirus was annoying, imagine four months for a postcard. That's what was happening here, and it was untenable. That's too long. However, it was determined that planes could, 
just barely make it to the southern tip of Sri Lanka, then a British territory, establishing the route between Australia and the UK. Ugh, it was going to be tight, though. 4,000 miles, and this is in a time before jet engines. That was one heck of a leg to fly. Now, there were a series of islands about a third of the way on that journey, the Cocos Islands, but, uh, well, the UK kind of sort of wanted to do everything possible to make Japan forget they existed. It actually served as a hub for all their telegraph communications from Australia, so it was a little too dangerous to use those guys. The aircraft that Qantas Airlines would use was called the PBY Catalina. It was a small seaplane that normally would never be able to fly such a great distance. But if you took out all the essential equipment, including all the de-icing measures and insulation, and filled it to the brim with fuel tanks, it could gasp its way to the Sri Lankan shores. However, due to all the extra fuel, only three passengers and 152 pounds of mail were allowed on board at a time. That's it. Even the radios and navigation equipment were removed, and the pilots would only use a compass and stars to chart their flights. Also, the top speed of this plane was about 140 miles per hour. They theoretically could have been passed by a kite. So, 4,000 miles, 140 miles per hour, this puts, under optimal conditions, your average flight time right at 28 hours. And these seaplanes were noisy as all get-out, potentially drawing the attention of the Japanese looking to send a skyward plane back down under. This would be a white-knuckler the whole way through. The flights were carefully designed to leave Perth in the morning, before sunrise, and fly into the area that could be reached by the Japanese planes from the controlled Indonesian territory as the sun was setting, and sneak into darkness before landing in Sri Lanka the next morning after, at minimum, 28 hours in the air. Because those passengers would witness two sunrises while in the air, it was dubbed with the nickname the Double Sunrise Flight. Throughout the war, the double sunrise flights flew 271 times, ferrying 648 passengers and nearly 40,000 pounds of mail and cargo without incident. The secret order of the double sunrise was an illustrated certificate given to passengers aboard the flying boats of the Australia-England Airlink to attest that they had been airborne for more than 24 hours. We'll post a picture of that puppy on our Instagram at WikiWalks Podcast. It's pretty sweet, and I, uh... I want one. I looked on eBay. It's, uh, not cheap. Neat fact, one of these passengers was Keith Murdoch, an Australian journalist who was the father of Rupert Murdoch, media mogul and founder of Fox Broadcasting Company. On one of these flights, highly unfavorable winds slowed the trip to a crawl, and it took a full 32 hours and 9 minutes to complete the journey, which, to this very day, still stands as the longest commercial flight ever recorded. So, whenever we all get back to flying again, and you find yourself boiling over that the airborne homeless shelter that is Spirit Airlines will be eight hours late to Cleveland, just remember that at worst, you'll only see one sunrise. <laughs>